Now, if you have your Bible, please open to the Gospel of Mark. You've got Matthew, then you've got Mark. That's where we are. Mark chapter 2. The passage read just a little bit ago by Pastor Josh. It's wonderful. I don't recall, I know I've referred to this message, but I don't recall ever coming to this passage and preaching a message from this passage. So today, I would like to do that. I want to, I want to ask you a question at the outset. I think it will be a question worth thinking about, and one you may have thought of before, maybe you have not, but I want you to think about it, and that is this. Aren't you glad that somebody told you about Jesus Christ? They risked the embarrassment, they risked the possible rejection, they risked you saying no, they risked possible missed appointments, they knew that they could be embarrassed by the comments you might make back, but they went past all of that and they made sure that you heard the message of how God left heaven as Christ comes to the earth, dies on the cross, raises from the dead, and how he lives offering forgiveness through his death, through his resurrection. He offers hope and life and eternal life for anyone who will call on him. Aren't you glad somebody told you about that? I tell you what, I am thrilled somebody told me about that. Jesus in this passage points to the fact that he has authority and power to forgive sin. You and I can forgive someone. I've had people come to me, call me father, and they weren't my kids. <laughs> I know where I've been. They were not my kids. And they call me father as if I were a priest, and I've let them go ahead and tell me what they needed to tell me because I guided them through the confession to God, not confessing to me because I cannot forgive your sin, but he can forgive your sin. Jesus, he has power to do that. He also shows that he has authority over your body. He can heal your body. He shows that in this passage right here. He has all power. He also is declaring the possibility of eternal life. He says that anybody who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is absolutely an incredible deal that he is offering to every one of us. So we don't know for sure what these people know in our scripture today, but we know that they know something. We know that they're aware enough that they're motivated to do something about this whole opportunity they have of meeting up with Jesus. Now, I've been to Capernaum a couple of times, and being there at Capernaum, I have been at Peter's house. I know where it is. I could take you there. And in Capernaum's house, in, in Peter's house at Capernaum, if you see that, Jesus was either there or perhaps he is at a house where he was staying. But if he is here at this house, then I know where it is. Now, in the Eastern tradition, the Eastern culture, they had kind of an open culture. If something's really going on, really exciting over at this house, everybody could kind of hang out at that house and see what's going on, right? And so that's what's going on in this passage. We have four guys that are friends, and then we have their fifth person who is a friend, but he has a problem and they want to get him to Jesus. So we've got five guys. So if you're wondering where to go for lunch, the Lord just spoke to you, five guys. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe not. But maybe, I don't, I don't know, it's very greasy and not real. But it, anyway, it's your business. We want to watch these guys take three steps to get their friend to Jesus. How many steps are you willing to take to get your friend to Jesus? What are you willing to do to press through to help them? Notice, first of all, the first step is this. These four friends carried their friend on a stretcher, verses one through three. Now, there are a lot of things we don't know about these guys. 
We don't know their names. The scripture doesn't say. We don't know their age. The scripture doesn't say. It must not be relevant to us, to the story. No, it's not. We don't know how long they've been friends. We're not sure. There are several things we do know. They knew that Jesus provided something they couldn't. We, knew, we know this, that they knew if they got their friend to Jesus, it would be a good thing, good things could happen. You see, if we're convinced that if we get our friends to Jesus, good things can happen, we look at our friends a little bit differently. We don't have to judge them as harshly. We don't have to push them down. We don't have to make them feel small and incidental and stupid. We realize that God so loved the world, he loves them too, that he reaches out to them, even them. Yes, them. Oh yeah, them. Them too. And them. You thinking about them? He reaches out to all of them. And he carries a burden for all of us. Aren't you glad someone cared enough about you to get you to Jesus? These guys grabbed four ends of this cot and they were on their way. My mother prayed for her brother Wayne, my uncle. I loved him. He was a good man, a decent man. He really only had two problems that I know of. He liked the Yankees. That was a problem. I know you're a Yankee fan over here, but God has mercy. And he was also not a follower of Jesus Christ. He wasn't a bad man. He just didn't follow Christ. My mother prayed for him specifically by name daily to receive Christ. More than 50 years daily. More than 60, I would say. But anyway, somewhere north of 20,000 times, she would have prayed for my Uncle Wayne to come to faith in Jesus Christ. She carried his stretcher to Jesus. She went in the hospital when he was 80. He was there in the hospital. She was visiting him. He knew he wasn't well. And she said to him, Wayne, don't you want to make your peace with God? I'll help you right now. And he wanted to make his peace with God. Oh, it was a bright moment. She got to pray with him and lead him to faith in Jesus Christ, and he said he did that. I look forward to seeing him in heaven one of these days. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the stuff this church is about. I don't know where you've been at church. I don't know where you're thinking about this church. I just gave you a bunch of numbers and money. You may have misguided thinking. I don't have air-conditioned dog houses. Let me tell you, our goal is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to help as many do that along the way. And that's it. That's what we're about. We're trying to get them and, and get them all. Aren't you glad somebody told you? These four friends broke through obstacles. These four friends broke through obstacles. When they got to the house, the popularity of Jesus had gotten there before them. Jesus was in there teaching. Your Bible says the house was full. So full, they're standing outside the door. You know what that means? They're not going to be able to get this friend on a stretcher in to see Jesus anytime soon, right? So they're not going to be able to do that. Now, the houses there, a lot of them, have a stairway that comes up on the outside. It comes up on the roof. I'm not sure exactly what the roof is made of. Some of them would have been made out of some sort of a, of a tile, a ceramic type of tile, perhaps. Others would have had cross beams woven something there that would allow you to be up on the top. Anyway, you would be able to get up on the top of this house. So these, these five guys are going up here, four of them carrying the buddy on a stretcher. The roof has to be strong enough for them to get in. 
And so verse 4 of your passage says that they are removing the roof. Now, you know when they were removing the roof, the original language indicates to us that there may have been some debris that would fall down. So if they're just removing tile, there's still dust and stuff coming down. If they're having to remove some kind of limbs and thatch of some kind, you're still getting this dust falling down. So the crowd's in here listening to Jesus, and all of a sudden something's coming through the roof. And here they begin to see what's going on. And pretty soon your Bible says that they are lowering this guy down before Jesus. They are getting their friend to Jesus. They found a way to get their friend to Jesus, and they did not let the obstacles stop. Isn't it something how you plan to meet with a friend and share the good news of Jesus? Somebody called me last week, said, would you pray for me because I'm going to be talking to somebody, and when I talk to them, I want to be able to, you know, present what I need to present. And then I asked them later, I said, did you get to have that conversation? They're like, man, it didn't go the way I hoped it would. You know, sometimes those things happen to us, and we have obstacles that will come up. People get sick. People couldn't keep a schedule. We thought we were going to say it. The conversation didn't lend itself. Somebody spilled something, and it just all of a sudden makes it real awkward, and you don't, you don't have the vibe for it. It isn't there, and you can't really have that opportunity to do it. Clyde Heisler went down here, a member of our congregation, a godly man. He's now in his late years. He lives in a nursing home. His mind doesn't work like he'd like. He, he lives in Palmerton, a gracious man. And he told me one time he went down by the Lehigh River to visit a guy on a visit he was making as several from the church would go into the community and make visits. And he pulls up in his car. He turns off his car. He gets out of his car and running up from behind the house is this dude with a sledgehammer. And he was coming after Clyde. Clyde is one of the most disarming people I know, and he was able to de-escalate the moment. What would you have done? I'd have been like the disciples, and Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet. <laughs> I'd have gotten in my car. I started that sucker up so fast. I'd have been out there, vroom, vroom. I'd have been throwing rocks. I'd have been getting out there so fast. But just thinking, man, this dude's about ready to make me a martyr for Jesus up in here. <laughs> this is crazy. But Clyde was able to disarm, and eventually, you know what he did? He led that man to Jesus Christ. And that man is serving Christ and working in a church right now. Isn't that amazing? He didn't let the obstacle stop him. Isn't that beautiful? Are you letting some obstacle keep you from sharing Jesus, your Jesus, your precious Jesus with somebody? Are you willing to risk what could be embarrassment? A little bit of a, oh, we don't want everybody to look at us. I don't want to be, I might be labeled. I'm not. Are you worried about some of those types of things? I realize there's some concerns with some of that. These guys risked everything. They let everybody know they were a believer when they put this guy down on the floor in front of Jesus. And it's absolutely amazing. William Tyndale was born about 1496. And the Bible was not yet written in English. Some of you may have thought it came that way, but the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And about 40 different authors pinned different parts of it. It was put together through the canon process, they call it. That means it had to go through scrutiny to become considered Bible over about a 1,200-year period, three continents. And so he wanted to get the Bible into English. He didn't know you. 
He grew up in the 1500s, born at the end of the 1400s. He lived through the 1500s and began to minister. And as he ministered, he felt called. So what he did was he interpreted the Bible into English. And when he put the New Testament into English, the leaders hated him. He had said to the minister one day, he said, I'm going to put the Bible in English so the farmer will be able to know as much about the Word of God as you do, he said to the pastor. He was thinking about you and me. And we went ahead and did this. He wanted to get to the Old Testament, but they arrested him. And then they strangled him, and they burned him at the stake. He was willing to face the obstacles to get the gospel to you. Are you willing to do anything to get the gospel to someone? You have your Bible sitting there on your lap or maybe dusted up at your house. Somebody gave their life so you could get that. And it was William Tyndale. But then notice something else. The four friends saw their friend transformed. Verses 5 through 12 speak to us about this. Jesus saw their great faith. He saw their faith from their actions, didn't he? They were persistent. They weren't going to stop. They were going to plow on through. They wanted something to happen. And so they continued on their way here. And Jesus, in verse 5, he gave forgiveness. He says, look, in verse 5, your sins are forgiven. In the gospel, it talks to us all through it about different ways that Jesus expresses the idea of forgiveness. But when it comes to the epistle of John, 1 John, chapter 1 and verse 9, it says it this way. If we confess our sin, that's if, have you? If we confess our sin. And then to your friend that you might be thinking about. If we confess our sins. Well, what's going to happen if we do? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Oh, things are looking up. And he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is, he makes us right before God. This is absolutely powerful. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, there is no form of sinfulness to which you are addicted, which Christ cannot remove. And I echo that right here in our century that we live. Same is true today. He can forgive. He'll save to the uttermost. And that means everybody in this room and any of you watching today and anybody that will watch in a few days or weeks on this message, he reaches out to you. Notice in verses 9 and 10, when the religious leaders had squawked and said, how can you do this? And they started putting up the hackles. hackles. You'll have people put up hackles around you. Say, well, you need to do it this way. You need to do it that way. Just don't listen to them. Jesus just ignored basically. And then he said this. Look at verse 10 of your passage there, Mark chapter 2. He refers to himself as a son of man. That's out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, that he gets this reference. But he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And you know what's incredible about this? When he does this, 14 times in the Gospel of Mark alone, he'll refer to himself as Son of Man. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he'll refer to himself 80 times as Son of Man. That, to the Messianic ear that was there, the Jewish people, they understood that means Messiah. That means he has authority. He can forgive sin, and he does forgive sin. And I'm going to tell you this, when Christ forgives your sin, you know it, don't you? You know full well that you have been forgiven. Your conscience is clean, and it's just as if you had never sinned, justified. And you now are made right before God, and you're made right in his sight, and that is a powerful position to be in. Can he get a witness in the house somewhere? Jesus also healed this man. Now, don't, don't choose to misunderstand. Every time somebody's sick does not mean that it's because of sin. But in this case, Jesus also healed him. So he's forgiven his sin, and he heals him. He says in verse 11, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. This is incredible. 
The whole crowd's watching and they are all amazed, your scripture says. And they said, we've never seen anything like this. Verse 12, wow, we, unbelievable. Friends, there was all kind of rejoicing going on. You talk about the mother load party, it was happening right here. This was absolutely amazing. The scripture says, you know the man is rejoicing and praising God. You see then his buddies are going to be rejoicing and praising God. You see the people in the room, your scripture says, they're praising God. And you know what's happening up in heaven? The scripture says, your Bible says, the angels are rejoicing when one person comes to faith. When we had the 15 kids or whatever the number was this week at VBS, angels were rejoicing in first service, lots of hands angels were rejoicing. You talk about a party. They're partying there in Capernaum. They're partying up in heaven. That's the kind of party BWC likes. That's BWC style partying. That is absolutely amazing whenever that happens. And it can happen to you. Have you let Jesus into your heart? He can come in, forgive every sin you've committed, anything you've done. He can forgive it all. And he can cleanse you from all unrighteousness and set you in a transformed, renewed mind. He'll make you new. That's what he does. Have you let him? Have you invited him? Have you confessed and acknowledged your sin and that he's Lord? If you do that, he won't turn you away. Nicky Cruz was a wild child. His mother called him son of Satan. They practiced witchcraft in Puerto Rico where they lived. Eventually, they didn't want to mess with him and hassle with him, so they lived in Puerto Rico, and they sent him to New York City to live with his brother. Things didn't get much better in time. He was out on the streets, and he ended up in a few months becoming the leader of a gang. As a leader of a gang, he started doing anything, all kinds of things, and he wasn't living a good life at all, not honorable at all. David Wilkerson, a pastor, felt called to the inner city of New York. It seems like an odd pairing. Gangs, gang violence, gang leaders, and a pastor a couple weeks ago, I talked to you about a prophet and a prostitute. This week, here we go talking about a pastor and a gang leader. What do they have in common? Jesus is one thing. And Dave Wilkinson was down in this area where Nikki was, and he started sharing the good news. Nikki got upset with him and slapped him and spit on him and said, I don't want anything to do. You need to get out of here. But Dave was persistent because the call of God called him there. Whose stretcher are you carrying to Jesus? Anybody? Nobody? Wilkerson wanted to pick up the stretcher, if you will, for Nicky Cruz and carry him to Jesus. So he went back down there, and eventually in that area, Nicky and his gang started listening to Wilkerson and one day, they prayed and opened their heart to receive Jesus Christ, confessing their sin and inviting Jesus in. And they were absolutely changed. And Nicky became a transformed man. Didn't know it could happen to him, but it did. David Wilkerson started Teen Challenge, and some of you have benefited from that, and some of your relatives have benefited from Teen Challenge. And Nicky Cruz ended up later on overseeing and running Teen Challenge. Isn't it amazing what God can do if we give him just a little bit of time? If we carry the stretcher to him, what could happen? Think about your friend. If you carry the stretcher to him, what could God do? Oh, my stars, he could do great things, exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. 
Can I get a witness in this tired, rain-ridden crowd this morning? (laughs) I love you, you bunch of Dutchies, but I'm going to tell you something. I love you, but you ought to be on your feet thanking God for he he has saved you from hell. He has saved you from an eternity apart from God. He has given you life abundant. He has transformed you. And whether the world goes crazy and whatever happens in your body and when you die, you know Jesus, you're going to heaven, new body, new home, nothing wrong there. Can I get a witness somewhere in this house? Man. Thank you, Jesus. I was dead, but now I'm made alive. Elmer Towns, great man of God, had the privilege of running into him in Columbia, Missouri a long time ago, and he shared some stuff that is game-changing and life-changing for me. If you have a friend and you want to help lead them to Jesus over the next year, I'm going to share with you four things you could do. If you haven't led anybody to Jesus, you ought to write these down because you don't have a good track record yet. But this could help your track record, all right? You can critique everybody else around you, but if you're, not, if you're not shining your bright light somewhere, knock off the critiquing and start leading somebody to Jesus. The world is dark. Quit cursing it. Do something. Here you go. I'm giving you the handle right here. You ready? Say yes. yes. Here's first thing. Pray for their salvation like my mother did my uncle. Pray for their salvation by name every day. Be specific. I am praying for Wayne to come to faith in you, Jesus Christ, in salvation. Take time and pray over that. Every day. You care, carry the burden, carry the stretcher, all right? Second thing is be in touch with them once a week. It may be a text, an email, a phone call, a cup of coffee. It doesn't have to be harassing, bothering them. You don't want to be an appendage on their life but you want to be available and connected in some way to them. I've done this. This works. Third, remember their special days. They know if you remember your special days, that's good. Your mind's working. But they know if you remember their special day, that's good because you care. You care. Birthdays, wedding anniversary, or something special to them. Fourth, invite them. Invite them to a place where you know the salvation message will be presented. Could be a concert, could be church, VBS, could be a place like that, or a gathering we'll have like maybe on the hill in a few weeks or something like that. We do that. Now I want to share with you something. I want you to write it down. I'm going to give you three thoughts. I've shared them before, but it's been several years since I have. I want to share them with you now. If you're ready to receive them, please say yes. All right. It's real easy. This is a personal testimony that you could write. You need three paragraphs, not more than a page. You could probably keep this really simple. Half page would do for all three together. Before Jesus, and don't over-glamorize it, but this guy on the mat could say, before I met Jesus, I was really, you know, messed up. Before Jesus. Okay, so we wrote down before Jesus. Then Jesus. This is the moment when you had a transition. This is the moment when you were lowered through the roof. This is the moment whenever you met Jesus for real. Before Jesus, then Jesus. Okay, here's the last. Since Jesus. What's happened in your life since then? 
He's given you a hunger for spiritual things. You've come alive spiritually. You see things differently. You now have a purpose that's clearer. Before, then, since. If you write that three, three parts down, it will make a difference. Josh, need you to come up here. Pastor Justin, come and help me out here. I'm going to give you an illustration as I wrap up and land this message. Graves in the gardens. Thank you. All right. We're friends. We're all buds. We love each other. We respect each other. We all are professionals. So, he is to a professional. You're a realtor with Homeway Real Estate, right? Doesn't look good today, but yeah. Yes, you are, and you're a good-looking man, and you can do it, and I know it. And he can help you sell whatever it is you have. He can help you do it. He's good. And uh, I know him. So, here we go. I think you're good. No. <laughs> this is Pastor Justin. He's awesome. All right. So, he has three names of friends that are not Christian friends. I mean, they're not Christians yet, but he's burdened for them. He has three names of people that he's praying for. He wants them to come to Christ. He doesn't want to go to heaven and not see them there. You catch what I just said? I don't want to get to heaven and not see my friends there, right? I have three names. Three names, three names, three names. We've got nine names. So what we're going to do is, every day by name, we're going to pray specifically for these nine people to come to faith in Christ. Now, we say between now and let's say Thanksgiving, you could go Christmas, but keep it a little shorter. Now to Thanksgiving, we're going to touch base with each other once a week for not more than five minutes each time. So you don't have to give a lot of your life, a lot of your time, not more than five minutes. We can do it as a group call. We can do it, you know, together online, whatever, or we can get together. We can do it, but we see each other before service, after. So we've done this in other churches. Our church is a little bigger now, a little harder to do, but you can do it with your friends in your small group. Here's what we do. We say, hey, Josh, did you hear anything from anybody this week that we're praying for? And he say, no, I really didn't hear anything, but let's keep praying. So we all agree we're going to keep praying. Then we ask, did you, see, did you hear anything from anybody this week? And he says, well, you know what? I did have a God conversation with one of my friends. And so I think that's a step. I haven't had that before. And so we're all getting excited here. And then I share, well, I don't really have anything this week. But next week, I'm going to be meeting up with. All right. Each week, we're praying. So they're going to be praying for the meeting I have. We're going to be praying for that. We're going to pray for the con conversation to continue. I saw two of my aunts come to Christ doing this. My wife saw her cousin come to faith in Jesus Christ while we were praying on this kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you what, nothing may happen, but what if it did? If two or three agree on earth, and it's outside my family, now we're starting to pray with new prayers, new voices, new perspective. People, this is powerful. When you start praying, you're talking to God Almighty, and He can begin to help those people see things they can't see without Him and do things. Thank you, guys. And I've seen that work. I throw that out to you as an option you might want to consider in your own life. Find two or three people and just say, hey, how about we do that to Thanksgiving? Every Sunday before service. Don't meet 10, 15 minutes. Don't talk politics. Don't talk sports. Talk people that you're praying for. And then when you're done with that, pray a quick, short prayer, and that's it. Five and out. Somebody set the timer. Five and out. That's it. You see, we can get serious about this. Okay, so now we're bringing this in for a landing, and as we're bringing it in for a landing, everybody fasten your seatbelt, put your tray in an upright position, get your Bible packed. Here we go. What name has come to your mind? What family is on your mind while I'm preaching? Will you grab the cot? 
Will you grab the cot? You know them. They need to know Jesus. Will you grab the cot or will you just hang on one more week praying your family doesn't mess up and Jesus comes back? We can do more than curse the darkness. We can shine the light and he can transform because his power reaches everyone. Let's bow our heads. Music team, come into place, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we give you thanks for the salvation you have provided for us through death and resurrection on the cross and now invitation that you give to every one of us. If you're sitting here today and you have not prayed to receive Christ or open your life or given that assent to receive Christ, how about you just pray quietly? You don't have to pray out loud, but mean it from your heart and something's going to happen. You don't even maybe know what to say. Here's what you could say. Dear God, I recognize my sin. I am a sinner. Just go ahead and say that right there. I'm not comfortable with this relationship any longer. I don't want to be separated from you. I see you died on the cross to forgive my sin. I invite you to come in and forgive me just now. I invite you to make me new. I ask you to guide my life. Give me purpose. Help me carry the stretcher for someone else. Help us to keep carrying it until the day you come till we reach more and more people with the good news of Jesus. The clear conscience. The purpose that is higher than temporal for living and for eternity in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for this right now. If you prayed this morning, you wouldn't mind to just admit it. Just lift up your hand if you would, just, just quickly. He took a cross for you. You can lift your hand for him. Just lift your hand, then you can put it back down. I see hands going up across the congregation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you've chosen to do at this place this morning and in our other campuses because I've, I just know you're all over, all over the ministry this weekend. I just sent you here. Thank you, Lord. And may you guide us in the way that we should go. And for what you do, we give you praise and give you thanks. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.